Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Thursday, December the 1st, 2022. It is currently 1217 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And well, I hope you're ready to put your thinking caps on. All right. Before I introduce the topic, before I say anything about that, I want to have, I hope I don't take too long doing this, but we need to have a conversation. There are two very important aspects to the Christian life. Two very important aspects to the Christian life. Number one is doctrine and theology, right? We we are to be constantly studying the Word of God, feeding upon the Word of God, because the Word of God is profitable for doctrine, right? For teaching, for instruction, for correction, for reproving. It is the Word of God. It is the inspired Word of God. We are to study it. We are to read it. We are to meditate on it. We are to memorize it. We are to feed upon it. And this tells us what we are to believe about this and about this and about this and about and about this. It is absolutely critical that we we spend so much time studying the Word of God. That has to be our focus. Our focus must be studying the Word of God and just feeding upon it as much as we possibly can. So right here on this podcast, one of the main elements of this podcast is the Bible study exercise series, where I try to get you not to just listen to someone else what they what they what they found in their bible study but to get you actually involved in bible study that is that is a the major focus of this podcast is trying to get people to study the word of god trying to teach you uh, bible study skills trying to teach you hermeneutical skills i mean that we i emphasize that over and over and over but that that's one but that's only one key element in the life of a believer. That's one key aspect for the life of a believer is this, is theology and doctrine. It is the word of God. It is studying and feeding upon it. But at some point, all of that study, all of that knowledge, all of that meditating, all of that memorizing, all of the word of God that you've been feeding upon, at some point, you have to enter into that second aspect of your Christian life where you then take that knowledge and you try to apply it correctly to your life to the life to to the world around you that you try to understand things biblically you act biblically you 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 just every you have to apply it in a biblical way so in one sense there's the one aspect of the christian life is doctrine theology it's the word of god it's the obtaining of that knowledge gaining that knowledge it's the learning it's the study But then at some point, all of that learning has to then enter into a practical theology. You could almost think of it this way. So much of what we learn in theology, doctrine, sermons, Bible study, a lot of it, and please hear what I'm about to say. I don't want you to misunderstand this, but it's very theoretical, right? It sounds really good sitting in the pew. You may say, amen, amen, amen. But once you leave the pew and now you enter into the real world, the application of that so-called theory, it gets messy. It gets difficult. And if you think there's disagreement, 
and theology and doctrine and interpreting the Word of God and studying the Word of God, which there is constant disagreement in the body of Christ when it comes to that kind of thing. There is even more disagreement in the application of it. There is so much disagreement in the, uh, in the learning of biblical doctrine, theology, and the Word of God, and there is even more disagreement in the application of it. So here's what happens. Everyone's learning the same, hopefully as Christians, we're all learning the same book, right? It's the Word of God. We have 66 books. We're memorizing, we're reading, we're studying. Now, sadly, many Christians don't engage in serious study, and yet they want to run around and try to apply Scripture. Well, that's always dangerous. But the point is, we, we all have the same Bible. We all have the same book. But for some strange reason, we seem to have great difficulty in taking that scripture and applying it in a way that Christians can agree upon because everyone applies it in different ways and everyone will claim that their application, their understanding, or their saying that we should do this or not do this all comes from scripture. And it doesn't matter what the subject is. Just think about some of the things we've been talking about recently here on this podcast about women and submission and abuse in marriage. There, there are some uh, principles in Scripture. How should they be applied in this situation or this situation or this situation? We, we've been talking about it in our Bible study exercise on fear. There are certain aspects of life where we are to show the right kind of fear, which is a reverence, a respect, and an awe. It must be shown between child and parent, wife and husband, and slave and master. And those raises some serious, serious questions, right? Uh, us and government. There are serious questions here. Everyone knows Romans 13, but look what happened during the pandemic. Many Christians were like, nope, nope, nope. We don't have to submit here. We don't have, there was great di differences of opinion on how to apply it, but everyone was quoting scripture. Some were quoting Romans 13. They're like, you've all misinterpreted it. We don't have to obey. We don't have to submit. Others were like, well, Romans 13 is right there. Everyone's quoting the same scripture, but the practical application of it becomes almost, uh, we, we, un, 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 I don't even know the word. We, we, we don't seem to be able to navigate it in any meaningful way. It almost becomes unmanageable. Maybe that's the word I was looking for. We just don't know what to do. So it's really, this, this can make the Christian life a never-ending source of frustration, right? You're trying to read. You're trying to study. You're trying to understand doctrine and theology. And immediately you find yourself in conflict with whom? Drum roll, please. Other Christians are like, nope, you've got the wrong doctrine, you've got the wrong theology, nope, disagree, 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 disagree. Well, this scripture says this, so I'm sorry, this scripture says this. Okay, so that's already maddening. Then you're like, okay, now we're going to move from theoretical theology, right? And I say theoretical in the sense that we're just learning these concepts. Now we have to put it into practical application to our lives and the world around us. And immediately, guess what you find? You find yourself in conflict with whom? Drum roll, please. Fellow Christians, we can't agree on the, on the interpretation of doctrine, theology, and the scriptures, and we can't agree on the application of it. And that is a reality that to me is discouraging. It is depressing. It is frustrating. It is aggravating. It is anger-inducing, but it's just the reality of the Christian life. And I, I, you say, well, what's the solution? I wish there was a—well, first, 
There can be no solution until we can at least agree upon basic concepts about Bible study and Bible interpretation, and there's not even agreement within the body of Christ on that. Even though people claim that they have the same hermeneutical system, they'll come to dramatically different conclusions, so something goes way wacky in all of that. So I don't even know if there's a solution. And when it comes to the application, I think the only re- the only hope of ever having any kind of agreement within the body of Christ is that many cases, now listen to me carefully, I think people's application of scripture tends to contradict their their theoretical theology. In other words, their theology, they know it, they understand it, but it's just theory. And when it comes to practice, in many cases, they contradict the very theology they profess, but they don't even realize it. You're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. You said this, that... They don't see it. So we have to come upon an agreed upon Bible study, Bible study methods and hermeneutical procedures and, and principles. We have to. And then we have to constantly challenge ourselves. Wait a minute. Is my application here actually consistent with what I teach? Now, that, that's, that's something we have to constantly work on. Now, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because, well, we have stumbled into, I guess this is going to turn into a mini-series. We've stumbled into a mini-series that's all about the application of the Word of God in regards to what's going on in our culture in 2022. And there's going to be massive disagreement on this. I introduced this yesterday. Just wanted, basically what I wanted to do yesterday was just give everyone information, just saying, hey, here, here is what has happened. Here's some of my initial thoughts. And then over the next few days, we're going to look at five reactions about it. So just make sure you understand, we have kind of a theoretical theology and practical theology. We're going to be dealing with the practical theology and, well, there's going to be disagreement. But I just want you to at least understand that concept. But are you ready? Let's go back to November the 30th, 2022. November the 30th. So that was yesterday, Wednesday, November the 30th, 2022. Christianpost.com posted the following news story. Historic day or undeniable harm? Five reactions to the Senate passing same-sex marriage bill. Was it a historic day? Or has it, was it a day of undeniable harm? And they're going to give us five reactions to the Senate passing the same-sex marriage bill. Because immediately, obviously, Christian organizations, Christian websites have become very exercised over this, very bothered, very concerned. Some are, are, are you know, sounding the alarm that we're all in trouble and how dangerous this is, and this is the beginning of the end, and it's the destruction of civilization. Okay, maybe a little bit of hyperbole, but not much. Here is how the article begins. The United States Senate, the United States Senate, passed legislation on Tuesday of this week that would codify federal legal protections for same-sex marriage. Despite liberty, religious liberty concerns voiced by many. Known as the Respect for Marriage Act, 
The legislation was passed in a vote of 61 to 36 with 12 Republicans joining all Senate Democrats supporting the measure. The measure is expected to eventually be signed into law by President Joe Biden. The passage of the act is one step closer to being enacted, and it garnered support from progressive groups while getting denunciations from socially conservative organizations. Here are five reactions to the Senate's vote, ranging from groups that saw the result as a historical victory for equality to groups that viewed it as a new threat to religious liberty and the family. Now, we're going to, I don't know how many, we may just look at one response. We may just look at one response in this particular episode. I don't know how I'm going to break this down. I don't want the series to last too long, but I want to give each reaction a fair consideration and to be fair and thoughtful about each one. So if we if we need to break these down, that's okay. But let me just start with my reaction here. And I talked about this in yesterday's live broadcast. So I will try to make, I'll try to be as succinct and try to summarize this so that I don't end up spending 45 minutes because I have strong feelings about this subject and my strong feelings puts me in direct conflict and opposition with most Christians, and I understand that. But I want you to hear this. My reaction is an attempt to have a practical theology that is consistent with my theoretical theology. In other words, all the scripture that I read and study and try to understand, this is my attempt to have a practical application of it, where everyone else, I believe, contradicts their theology. You're going to tell me that I'm insane and that I'm crazy and that I'm a liberal and that I'm progressive and that I'm ungodly and I'm probably possessed by a demon. And I understand that. I mean, you're, you, you have all, you have the freedom to have any opinion you want. I wish you would just be more reasonable and at least hear me out. All right. So here is my reaction to the same sex marriage bill or what are they? The actual name of the act. It is called the. Um, hang on, where's it called? The Respect for Marriage Act. The Respect for Marriage Act. And when I say this, people get very upset with me, but that's okay. Here's my reaction. I don't care. I'm not bothered by it. Doesn't impact me in any way, shape, or form. And there's about a 95% chance that as far as we are concerned in 2022 going into 2023, it will have absolutely zero impact on me or my church. It has zero impact on my belief about the Bible. It has zero. It literally doesn't matter. It literally does. It's like right now, somewhere in some forest, a tree just got knocked over. A tree just fell over. A tree just got cut down. I, I know I'm not even aware that it happened. I, I don't know. It's, it seems it, it, that, that, that as meaningless as that is to my life, right? It, you could say, well, that tree being knocked down could have great impact on the, the environment. One tree, I, I, I understand if you wipe out an entire forest. I'm talking one tree falling over. One tree falling over has basically a absolute minuscule impact on anything other than maybe the animals who live or have a nest or something in that tree, okay? I'm saying 
it, it's a minuscule impact. So for this, this even has maybe even a smaller impact because literally this has no impact on my life in any way, shape, or form. Now, I know when I say that Christians lose their mind, but just listen to me. Listen to me. You've got to hear me out here. When it comes to the lost world, those who have rejected Christ, those who have rejected God as creator, those who reject his sovereignty, those who reject his supremacy, those who just, just they, they want to be the captain of their own fate, the captain of their own soul. They want their own life, their own reality, whatever the case may be. I, you know what I expect from those who have rejected God? I expect them to live as if there is no God. I'm ex- I expect them to live according to their understanding of morality, what they believe to be right and wrong. I expect them to sin. I expect them to pursue sin, love sin, pl- be, find pleasure in sin. I, I just expect them to live, I don't know, as an unbeliever. I, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked. And you know what I, what I desire for those unbelievers? For them to become believers. You know what I don't want to do to those unbelievers? Is try to impose a biblical morality upon them through the use of politics or law or force. They don't need morality. They need salvation. They need the gospel. To me, this, this goes to my, in a sense, theoretical theology, which has the impact on my practical application. Here's how it works. They need the gospel. Then when they believe, they are baptized. They're brought into the church. Then they are taught to obey. The teaching to obey comes after conversion. Many Christians look at the world, and when we see the world wants to do this or the world wants to do this, we rise up in arms and we're like, no, 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 we're going to fight you. We're going to stand again. Why? Why? What do you want? What's your end game? To make unbelievers live like believers by some kind of force that you want to impose a Christian morality upon the unregenerate? Israel. Think of Israel. They had the best moral system in the history of humankind. They had God. God was present with them. He gave them the law. They had priests. They had prophets. And guess what happened? They rebelled. 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 They, they, they constantly found themselves in trouble. You know why? External law. Even a physical presence of God in your midst. None of that ever changes or overrides the depravity inside of man. The human heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful above all things. You can impose the best law. You can impose prayer. You can place the Ten Commandments everywhere. It will not change the human heart. Israel had all of that. They had the Ten Commandments. They had God. They had his law. They had the tabernacle. They had it all. Rebellion, 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 rebellion. Because external religiosity, external religion, external morality, external law doesn't transform, doesn't change, doesn't do anything to the human heart. There must be conversion and then conversion. Then that's a, you, there's a change of mind about sin, about God, about right and wrong. You change your mind and you acknowledge certain things are wrong. And then you are taught to obey that and pursue that lifestyle that flows from conversion. 
Christians today want to impose some kind of almost a Christian theocracy. It's almost like we want a Christian version of Sharia law. And I reject that thinking completely. I just want, here's what I want. I want the government to allow me to preach the word of God. I want the, the, the government to stay out of my, in a sense, just allow me and give me the freedom to say that's sin, that's sin, that is wrong, that is wrong, that is wrong. Our only hope is Jesus Christ. Believe on him. Now as a Christian, live this out. The Great Commission wasn't go and make the culture live like Christians or impose Christian law upon them. Now, I understand all law, all law has a moral element to it. I understand that. But I don't want to impose biblical law on people trying to force them to do so. Obviously, some laws, obviously, you can say are connected to scripture or to religion. I understand that. And I understand there has to be laws there trying to protect people, protecting their life, protecting their property, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm not trying to impose Christianity onto people. So two people want to get married and they want their union to be recognized by the government, basically a civil union recognized by the government that affords them the same responsibilities and privileges of any other married people. It literally does nothing to me. I'm still going to preach the biblical concept that marriage is between a man and a woman. There you go. There you go. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. And to me, this is just a reminder that churches have have to stop all of the nonsense that they've been engaged in. Stop renting out your building so people can get married in your sanctuary. You're not a rental property. You're not a rental agency. You are a church. Stop renting out your building. Your building is to be used for church business, not renting it out. And if you truly believe in the sanctity of marriage and you believe it's a wonderful thing, why are you renting out your building? You would just let anyone use it for free, right? Because you, you, you love marriage and respect marriage so much. I mean, come on. And why do pastors charge people two, three, four hundred dollars to marry them? I thought you cared about marriage. That should be a privilege and an honor, not a way for you to make a little your side hustle so you can make a little cash on the side. Ridiculous stuff that churches do. Well, when you do that, you open yourself up. So when the government's like, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, you rent your building out, but you won't rent it out to homosexual, you get yourself in trouble. The church should just be for the church. And guess what? Only marry members of your church. And then say this church practices what we believe to be biblical marriage, which is between a man and a woman. End of story. But Christianity has so obliterated, and in many cases, a practical, consistent application of biblical, the, the Bible and of, of the theoretical theology, as I put it. So my reaction is it doesn't bother me. Two people get married. Well, wonderful. Great. The government recognizes your marriage. Don't believe it's biblical. But you know what? You know what they need? You know what? You know what they need? They don't, they don't need to be told, don't get married. They don't need to, it's not, it, they need Christ. Well, I don't, if you want to get married, get married. Great. Congratulations. You, you now have a government recognized marriage. Wonderful. You now have the same privileges and responsibility of any other married couple. Well, great. Congratulations. My issue with them is, oh, no, 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 I got to stop them from getting married. Or, oh, no, I got I to gotta stop their sexuality. They're, they need Christ. All right? Now, there's a lot more I could say there, but I won't go into it right now because I talked about it in yesterday's live broadcast. There'll probably be other things I will add to my reaction. 
Now, I know immediately people are already going, I can't believe that. And they're typing away. But you, you, look, if you want to fight culture wars and try to make people live like a Christian, be my guest. It's just, it's a, it's an absolutely inconsistent approach based on the Bible. The Bible doesn't call us to do that. It calls us to preach the gospel. That's what people need. Now, what are the five reactions? Well, let's go to reaction number one. Are you ready? Here we go. The five reactions to the Respect for Marriage Act. Here are five reactions, or as the article puts it, here are five reactions to the Senate's vote, ranging from groups that saw the result as a historic victory for equality to groups that viewed it as a new threat to religious liberty and the family. Going to the next page, and the first one is, here we go. The first one is, The Family Research Council, the Family Research Council. Now, the Family Research Council, I believe they have a program called Washington Watch, which is a podcast I subscribe to. Washington Watch also airs on the American Family uh, Association's radio network, or our AFR, American Family Radio, and I will listen to it there. I don't always agree. It's very, 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 very political, which just to me demonstrates, again, the political hijacking of American Christianity. So I kind of know where they're going to go, but we will see. Here's the Family Research Center, and here is their reaction to the Senate's vote. Here we go. This is what it says. Are you ready? Let's listen to it carefully. Here we go. The Family Research Council, a socially conservative organization, denounced the passage of the act, arguing that it would harm both religious liberty and the family unit. Now, let's stop right here. Number one. Could, I I am willing to acknowledge and concede that maybe somewhere down the line, it could have a problem, it it could greatly impact religious liberty. I'm willing to, uh, to concede that. So, what should the church do immediately? I've been telling churches to do this literally for around 20 years. All right. I've been pleading with churches to do this. Like 20 years ago, I started trying to get people these instructions. And I think people think I'm crazy. I've already mentioned them, but let me go through them quickly. Number one, stop renting out your building. Your church, act like it. You're not a rental property agency. You rent out your, you start renting out your property for things. Then you open up your door for someone, uh, you're open up yourself for someone to come to your church going, we would like to rent out your property. And you say, for what? Say for us to get married. And you're like, uh, who's getting married? And you're well, these two individuals, and they're the same sex. And all of a sudden you're like, no. Well, then they will try to go after you for discrimination and saying you're running a business, a tax exempt business on top of that. And you're doing so, and now you're discriminating against something you cannot discriminate against. That just opens your door. If, you, if someone says, I would like to rent out your, my building, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we don't rent out our building. We're, we are a church. We, our, that's what our church is used for. It's for the worship of God. It's for the teaching of God's word. That's what it's for. I don't understand why it's such a controversial subject, but it is. It, it drives me crazy. I've watched churches do this. I stumbled upon a lot of this in the early 1990s when I was getting very frustrated with a lot of the contemporary Christian music world. I'm like, so these contemporary Christian music artists claim that they're they're ministers, that they're they're ministering to people through music. 
But for, for you to get their ministry requires you to pay 40 or $50 to get into their concert. And I'm like, I don't think that's a ministry. I think that's a business. I think this is entertainment. I don't think it's ministry, but they want to sell it that it's ministry. So I believe it was Stephen Curtis Chapman who was coming to a church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And I think tickets were like, I think it were like $50. It was something crazy. I'm like, so $50 to get into a church to hear him play. And I'm like, if I try to go with my family, we're going to be well over $100. I don't have the money. I'm like, brand, you know, I'm a young airman in the military, so we can't go. And I'm like, this is just ridiculous. So we started looking into it and, and, and basically offering some criticisms. And we were basically told that we didn't know what we were talking about, that we didn't understand, and that they told us, look, you know, it costs money to do this and this, which we understood, but I had been a part had volunteered, helped out uh, the Carmen ministry way back, and I, and I dates myself as a teenager. And I remember that all of his concerts, I disagree with his theology, obviously crazy, would have some serious, we could have a long discussion about the music. But what I admired about him is his concerts were free. He put on these huge shows, free. He played in Texas Stadium in Dallas or Arlington, and the place was packed and it was free. And he put a big production stage show and he did it for free. And I'm like, well, how is he doing this for free when other like we've got to charge $50? So their argument basically was, well, one of the things you don't understand, we have to pay to use the church. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're a contemporary Christian music artist. You're coming to town and you want to minister in music. And the church says you can use our building, but it's going to cost you like a thousand dollars. No, 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 no. This cannot be happening. And then that gave me the insight into what churches are doing. It's a business. It's a racket. Um, they they rent out their 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 buildings for concerts, for 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 what for weddings or for whatever. When you do that, you open yourself up. So if you're worried about religious liberty, stop renting out your building. Right. Number two, only marry members of your church. Number three, pastors, stop charging people to marry them. That's the most absurd, blasphemous. We, like, we talk about the sanctity of marriage, and then we do that. So all of that, I think the church can just make easy changes to protect itself. Next, talks about how the, the same-sex marriage is going to destroy the family unit. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute here. Let's slow down here. Let's slow down here. First of all, what the world does to marriage, what does it have to do with destroying the family unit from a biblical perspective, right? Oh, oh, they're out there trying to destroy the family unit. Who cares? We still preach what the family unit is supposed to look like. We still preach the biblical standard. We call them to faith in Jesus Christ, repentance and faith. And then when they become a Christian, we say, here's what the Bible calls for the family to look like. Well, how do they destroy the family unit? And before we start pointing our fingers at the world supposedly destroying the family unit, could we look at what the church has been doing to the family unit forever? So I, I think we've got our own, our own problems here. So that they go after the religious liberty, which I think can be easily addressed. The family unit thing, I don't understand. Let's continue and see what they had to say here. All right, next. And a statement. FRC, that's the Family Research Council president, Tony Perkins, called the legislation the Disrespect for Marriage Act and claimed that it would make people prime targets for government harassment, investigation, prosecution, 
even civil action. Now, let me stop right here. Once again, I do understand the potential so churches can protect themselves by doing some of the things I've already outlined, right? We only marry members of our church. This church only practices what we consider to be biblical marriage, which is the marriage between one man and one woman. There you go. That's what our church is. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to, you you're not, still may not have trouble someday. I'm not saying that it won't happen. I'm saying that you, you're going to be, you're going to, you're, you're, you're taking away ways that they could find a way to do something or use something against you. That's all I'm saying. All right. But many churches, whenever I give you these suggestions, they think I'm crazy. The, uh, they said this bill is a club with which the left will attempt to beat people of orthodox faith who believe in marriage as God designed it and history has defined into submission to their destructive sexuality ideology, stated Perkins. So he's concerned this is going to turn into a club that's going to beat us into submission. I, I don't know. See, once again, how do you fight that? Let, let me make it very clear. See, here's the problem with I have some of these Christian organizations who get upset about it. So how do you plan to fight it? They want to fight it by, well, we got to elect some Republicans. We got to pass a bill. No, listen. All right. Everyone need to, needs to hear this. If you, if you miss anything else in this entire episode, you need to hear this. The world is slowly but surely you could even say rapidly moving away from historical biblical Christianity. They're moving away from a theistic viewpoint to a materialistic ideology. They've replaced God with themselves. They now define what reality is and what morality is. And you can't fight that change in society through political force or by passing bills or electing Republicans. What the world needs more than ever is the gospel. What the world needs more than ever is salvation. If you want to fight the quote-unquote societal degeneration, you must then proclaim the gospel where there can be regeneration. You want to fight the degeneration of society, it can only be, in a sense, stood against through regeneration, through the word of God, through the preaching of the word of God. If you want to, if you want to, in a, in a sense, change society, then you need to pray for revival. You need to fast and pray that God would, would pour out uh, a, a revival and, and that he would, he would, because salvation is a work of God, he would save sinners. And all we can do, whether it's in season or out of season, whether the world is going against it or whether the world is for it, we preach the gospel. We preach the same message. There is a God. He is holy. We are sinners. We fall short in thought, word, and deed by what we do and leave undone. Our only hope is not what we can do, should do, may do, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Change your mind about, about sin. Change your mind about God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ alone. Trust in him and you will be saved. That is what we have to proclaim. So when people see this respect for the marriage act and then people are, oh, this is horrible. It's good. What do you want to do to fight it? And it's almost political involvement and political involvement won't change the change that's happening within society. He goes on to say, we know what is right. We know what is true. 
whether by the court or by the Congress, truth cannot be altered. We need to have the courage to stand for it. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, and having done all, stand firm. These words apply so directly to us, we will continue to stand. Well, I, I, I got no problem standing. But what happens in many of these organizations, it's not that we stand. They want to fight it through political means and through, through political b- battle and engaging in culture war. That won't work. This is a spiritual thing. Focus on living out your Christian life to the best of your ability, being open and transparent with our own failure and our own sin, loving our enemy, loving our neighbor to the best of our ability, no matter how much we fall short. Once again, acknowledging our failure and confessing our sin and then proclaiming the gospel and then discipling people and pleading and begging God for spiritual revival. All right, let's go to the second one. The second reaction here is SAGE, S-A-G-E, SAGE. SAGE, uh, an organization centered on advocacy for LGBT senior citizens, released a statement celebrating the passage of the same-sex marriage legislation. So the first reaction is the Family Research uh, Council, our Family Research Center, they, they are like, this is basically horrible. It's going to become a club they're, they're, that's going to try to beat us into submission. We've got to stand against it. They don't really outline exactly what that means, but I guarantee you it means political involvement. And I don't know why we think we can fix these issues politically. I just, I just don't understand. I, I, man, it's like, it's like, see, here's what happens. We, everyone says they believe in the sinfulness of man. We believe in depravity, but that's simply theoretical. When it comes to the practical application of the doctrine of depravity, we abandon it and go full-blown Pelagian. Well, clearly, obviously, we already have enough problems with semi-Pelagianism. I wish we could get back to biblical, reformed, total depravity. I wish we could get back to believing in that because that has a radical approach in how you view life. All right, but that's, that's a whole different subject. It says, this organization argued that the act will defend the rights of both same-sex married couples and interracial, interracial marriages, as well as other groups from the ongoing threat of bigotry. SAGE CEO Michael Adams was quoted in the statement as saying that we are keenly aware that the desire to cause us harm and to push our community back in the closet still exists. That is why we are deeply uh, heartened that the Senate has taken this critical step to ensure respect for marriages of same-sex couples across the country, said Adams. Eddie Windsor, marriage equality trailblazer, joined many thousands of our community elders who fought for the freedom to marry over many decades. Today's vote vindicates their pioneering efforts and is an important step towards uh, for forward for equality. Now, I know many Christians will say that is garbage. I completely disagree. And many Christians would say, they need to go back in the closet. But I disagree. I disagree. I don't think anyway. I think we all need to come out of the closet and all of us acknowledge how sinful we are. Look, I, I got no problem them acknowledging. They, they want to acknowledge their sexuality. They want everyone to know that's great. Because at least they're just being open and honest with what they are and who they are and what they want. And I think it's honesty is the first step. Uh, I mean, what do, we, what do we always say about so many issues? You have to acknowledge it. Acknowledge your lifestyle. Acknowledge what you want. Now, I pray 
that through the proclamation of the gospel, that one day your mind will be changed in the sense you will change your mind to see it as sin. But only God, God is the only one who can grant repentance. God is the only one who can grant salvation. All we can do is proclaim the message. We can proclaim that it's sinful, but only God can change the mind in, in, in that sense of, of making them realize that they are a sinner. God has to accomplish that. Salvation is a monergistic work of God. We can't argue them into changing their mind. We can't manipulate them into changing their mind. And we can't force them to change their mind. God does the work of salvation. He has to give us repentance. He has to give us faith. It's something that comes from God. It's that simple. So, if they want to admit it, wonderful, great. Look Christians are weird sometimes about this stuff. Again, um, for some reason, homosexuals, we almost treat it so differently than other sin. It's like, okay, they're admitting their sin. Great. How about all the sin that you, in your life, all the sin that's in your church's life? It's so weird. It's like, it's like gay marriage causes Christians to lose their absolute minds. But guess what? And you know, in almost every church in the United States of America, you know what you have. If we even try to remotely understand the biblical teaching on this, the Bible seems to clearly indicate that there are situations where two people can get married, get divorced, and if they get remarried, they're in an adulterous relationship. They're committing adultery continually. They're in sin. But you know what? In most churches, those people are not viewed as adulterers. Those people are not even viewed as living in sin. They're viewed as good standing members of the church. They participate in the Lord's Supper and everything is fine and okay. You you even bring that up, people will get offended and get mad. All I'm saying is that Christians, there's, there's, there's clear sin in our midst. So I think in in some cases, we just need to all come out of the closet and say, I'm a sinner. Here's my sin. What's your sin? We're all sinners. What do we all need? We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying that excuses anyone's sin. I'm just saying it's just weird that we treat this one in such a, 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 how can I say, almost a different, different, almost place it in a different category. So there is the reaction from the Family Research Council, and from SAGE. Those are the two. We have three more to go. I'll just save them for the next episode. I'll save them for the next episode. So, in review, I'm going to go back to the very beginning of this article. I'm going to go right back to the very beginning of this article. There's the Family Research Council. The United States Senate passed legislation on Tuesday that would codify federal legal protections for same-sex marriage despite religious liberty concerns voiced by many. Known as the Respect for Marriage Act, the legislation was passed in a vote of 61 to 36 with 12 Republicans joining all Senate Democrats and supporting the measure. I think this is a situation where we have to take our in a sense, theoretical theology and think about it carefully and apply it in a practical way that is biblical and that is consistent. 
I'm not worried about the act. I'm not worried if, if two people want to get, a, get a, 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 their marriage recognized by the government so they are afforded the same privileges and responsibilities as any other marriage couple, married couple. That they're, they're, all I know is their marriage is recognized by the state, not recognized biblically. It's not recognized by God, not worried about it in any way, shape, or form. It's irrelevant to me. It has no bearing on me in any way, shape, or form. I'm not here wanting to impose biblical morality on people. I want to preach biblical morality to people. And when they see that they fall short of God's law and God's standard, then offer them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then once they have become saved, then teach them to obey what God has called them to do, even though we will acknowledge and admit that we all will do it imperfectly. The culture is moving away from God. Fighting it politically, fighting it by force is ridiculous and foolish. We need spiritual revival. We need spiritual awakening. We need salvation. We need the gospel. I'm not bothered by it in any way, shape, or form. I, 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 I know that shocks people, but I'm not. It doesn't bother me. Oh, okay. Oh, you're getting married? Well, congratulations. That's awesome. Good for you guys. Now, when I say that, congratulations that the government is, you're getting a civil union recognized by the federal government. I'm by no means saying that that marriage is recognized in the eyes of God or that it's biblical, but that's the least of my, why do I need to argue with lost people about whether their marriage is biblical or unbiblical? That's the last, they don't need to have a biblical marriage. Okay, That's not what, they need salvation. They need salvation. Plenty of, there's plenty of believers who've married an unbeliever. That's not a biblical marriage. There's lots of unbiblical marriages in the church. The issue is they need salvation. That's the issue. Their issue is not even their sexuality. They don't need to change their sexuality. They need salvation. Now, after salvation, they have to be challenged. Then this is what the Bible calls you to do or not do. We want, to, we want to clean up the outside. I think all Christianity, I think many Christians, all they want is their, their morality imposed upon everyone else so that everyone will clean up the outside of the cup and then we can all feel like we live in an episode of Leave it to Beaver and we can all feel better about ourselves. I would, read, I, I just, I think we've missed the point. I think we've lost the, 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 the plot. So those are two reactions out of five to the Respect Marriage Act that was passed on Tuesday and will be signed uh, by uh, President Biden. I think, I think they said before Christmas. I think it's when it was supposed to be signed. I will, I'll have to verify. And I'm assuming when it's signed, it will be another uh, round of outrage in, on the Christian media world. Uh, but we will have already discussed it and we will work through all five reactions I think you've got a pretty good idea of what my reaction is now, and you can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. But maybe the most important part of this entire discussion was what we started with. Remember, there is, the, there, is the, there is two aspects to the Christian life, doctrine, theology, the word of God. That's where we, we learn, we learn, we learn, we study, we study, and study. And then there's the practical application of that. In the practical applying it, you need to be consistent with it. 
And so many times what we do practically is inconsistent with what we claim th- uh, philologically because it becomes nothing more than theoretical idea that we talk about on church on Sunday in the pew, but it's hard to know how to put that into practice come Monday or a Thursday or any other day of the week. That may be the most important aspect of this conversation. But I look forward to your feedback and your disagreement. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. We'll try to finish this mini-series later today or this evening. We will see. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.